You're listening to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm your host, three-time Olympian and motivational speaker, Leah Amico. On this show, we're going to dig deep to unlock what it actually takes to build a foundation for greatness. If you're an ambitious person with big vision, but you feel like fear is holding you back, get ready for some major breakthroughs. Let's dive in. Everyone, welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. I have a little different type of an athlete today. This man was in bobsled with Team USA. So he started out as a football player in high school, also was a decathlete, went to college and did, did track. And then he got into bobsled in 2000. He was a three-time Olympian and he has an unbelievable backstory with that, but he did win the silver medal in the four-man bobsled event at the Salt Lake City Olympics in 2002, the same area where he grew up. And he now is an executive leader, coach, speaker. He does all kinds of things, but I'm excited to have Bill Schiffenhauer on my podcast today. Welcome, Bill. Hey, you know what? This is awesome. Like a silver medalist getting the opportunity to be in a gold standard world. This is fantastic. So Leah, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure and it's an honor and uh, super excited to uh, have this conversation with you. I'm so excited. We met a couple years back and actually in Utah as well at an event and was so happy to just connect with you on social media to hear about the great things you're doing now. And we do have that bond through the Olympics, right? Representing your country, there's nothing like it. But Bill, what I'm so excited about today is for you to just share your story because yes, you did reach the pinnacle and you, you know, made it to the Olympics and you just broke um, barriers and, and did it against all odds. So let's start with your story. Like, did you just have this amazing childhood growing up? Is that how you became an Olympian? Tell me about your childhood. Yeah, I was born at the bobsled track. No, no, no. You know, that's what's amazing about my story. And and, and part of that story is to help, uh, uh, you know, people out there in the world, no matter where they're at and what they're dealing with, where they came from, to understand that it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you're at. Again, it's simply a choice to decide what you want to do in life, create goals, you know, strategic plan and go after it. You know, obviously in my case, we talk about my story. I, I started off with probably the most negative type of odds you possibly could, right? We've, we've talked about it. We've heard it. Um, people have seen the documentary against all odds. But, you know, I was born to a mom who was a drug addict, prostitute, very well known here in Salt Lake City as the street mom, you know, that's the kind of lifestyle we led. I, I was used to watching her and her friends party, shoot up drugs, you know, violence, abuse, overdoses, suicide attempts, you name it. That's what I was a part of as a little kid. And, you know, even myself, because of that lifestyle, you know, I was bouncing in and out of 17 foster homes, family members trying to take me in, you know, my, you know, my mom would go to jail or go to prison for something. She'd get out, take me back. And so it was just, just really, really chaotic, extremely unstable life as a kid. And, and that was kind of like my normal life for me, you know, and when, when other kids were playing and having fun, going to school and learning, I was over here partying and, and drinking and doing drugs with my parents and, you know, hoping I had a place to live and sleeping behind garbage cans. And so a uh, very different lifestyle. So from the beginning, I was never set up to, to, to succeed whatsoever. Right. So in a nutshell, that's, that's the childhood, but you know, at a, at a young age, I I came to this conclusion. This is actually in seventh grade, and 
you know, again, at a time where I'm supposed to, you know, just be being a kid, just being a freaking kid, right? My mindset was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to grow up someday. Someday I'm going to want a family of my own. Do I want my family and or my kids to experience the same things that I'm experiencing as a kid? And the answer was no, right? And I didn't know exactly how I was going to go about that, but I was making like high level decisions as a seventh grader, life decisions as a seventh grader in order for, for me to hopefully have an opportunity to create this lifestyle, create this architecture in which that I wanted in my own life. And um, long journey, I'm not going to lie, long journey, you know, having to be very open, having to want to be a student of life and a student of sport. But, you know, the, one of the things that really got me in, like launched off originally is, you know, I was, I was going to a local junior high here. Obviously I was a kid who was always in trouble. You know, I had all F's and a D minus were my grades. And I, I was noticing this one kid and I talked about him. He's on my documentary named Jake Schultz. And he was the kid that just stood out. Like everyone liked him. He did all the sports, um, clean cut kid, you know, and, and the kids there like wore different clothes every day. I thought that was really weird because I was used to wearing the same clothes all the time. And, and I was like, you know what? There was an energy about him that I really, really was attracted to and very different from the ghetto, the streets, gangs, violence. And um, one day I just kind of took notice of him and followed him outside and uh, noticed that he and a bunch of other kids were out and, and handing off this little round baton thing like this and jumping over these things like this and running around this oval looking thing. And I was like, I don't know what these kids are doing, but I'm good at running from cops and jumping fences. And I think I can apply it in the same field. Right. So that was like my, my first opportunity of taking a negative situation of how I was growing up and trying to transition into a positive. And, and as everyone knows, as the listeners are, are you know, paying attention, uh, that first love was track and field. And when I had an opportunity to be a part of that and, and feel the camaraderie and I was, I was just really attracted but mind you, my first year, my eighth grade year, I got kicked off the track team and the baseball team for for mouthing off to the coaches and, and thinking I knew everything. And so there was a hard learning lesson at that point in time. And, you know, when and you probably in that situation, did you feel like you had to? Was there just that you you have to be in charge because everything around you was so chaotic? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's that saying that you can take this, the kid out of the streets, but you can't take the street out of the kid, right? And I was like always in survival mode, right? If, yes. if I wanted to eat, I had to go out and figure that out on my own. If I wanted clothes, if I wanted anything, I had to kind of take charge. I had to take care of my little brother from the time he was born up until he and I kind of eventually went our separate ways because he went into a separate foster home, but this was like in seventh grade. But I played like a, a father role. I played a mother role. I played a brother role. As a, and I was in elementary myself, right? And so, you know, I, some people say that was unfortunate, but actually it worked out to be a fortunate situation because that's what really helped me understand the value of teamwork, camaraderie, discipline, accountability, uh, you know, because the coaches were like, you know, hey, you're a great athlete, but if you can't like adhere to the rules and regulations that we have here as a team, we don't, we don't need you here. And I was like, what, you know? So and it ends I, up, ends up being a choice, right? At that point. 
hundred percent a choice. And, and you and I probably talk to people about that all the time that, that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we as humans make things way more complicated. Than they need to be the reality. It's a choice and the choice is probably right there in front of us. Right. So, so I, you know, I learned a lot of lessons early on and, and uh, you know, because of that, I, I, I reached out to my coaches. I reached out to my teachers cause I had, I had horrible grades. Right. And I said, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change my stars. I want to do something in life that no one ever expects this kid who comes from nothing and, and I want to accomplish something massive, massive. And, and, and by doing that, again, you know, taking the initiative to find mentors. And I was just asking for help. I didn't know exactly what mentors or coaches were. And, and they were more than willing to like sit with me after school and help me get my grades up, have conversation about what it truly means to be a teammate and, and work together on a team. And and I was really, really attracted to what that really was. And the camaraderie, the accountability, the teamwork. And, and then, you know, when you win your first race or your first competition, oh my gosh, that's the coolest feeling in the world, right? And everyone's like, good job. And, and you know, it was very different from what I was used to because I'm used to the drugs and the alcohol and the party, the guns, the violence, police, the, you know, the system. And, and when I had a, a taste, just a taste of what that was like to be an athlete, to be on a team, to be accountable and all that stuff. It, it, that became my new addiction. Right. And did, did anybody try to reach out to you prior to that moment and you kind of deciding is, does that play a factor? Like did any teacher or adult figure around you like try to come in and and encourage you help you but you just didn't receive it before that or was there literally nobody that that reached out yeah no no there there was definitely like my grandmother my aunt and her family and there were some family members that that would try and get me from my mom but back then the the system wasn't set up the way it was now right so that she would get out of jail or prison that she would take me right back and I, and I was a very, very difficult kid because of how the way I grew up, right? And, and we hear it all the time. People utilize the excuse, well, he or she grew up that way, and that's why they're like that as an adult. I honestly call absolute BS on that. I still think 100% it's a choice because I could have very easily went down that path because that's what I knew. That's what I was good at, and that's what my parents did, and that's what all my friends did, and that would have been easy, Right. But I knew that like it's not sustainable. And, and again, making these decisions as a seventh, eighth grader, right? And so yeah, so I have family members that like tried to reel me in, but you know, just for whatever reason, it didn't work. It's it's kind of like funny enough. I tell a lot of my friends are like, "Hey, I'm trying to coach my son, and it's it's not working out." I'm like, "It's because you're the dad." <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's like when I try and coach my son, he's like, "Yeah, dad, whatever," right? Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. My, my son, my son tells me I was an okay athlete. I said, okay, well you try to be just as okay as I was and we'll all be happy. Yeah, exactly. Right. But it's funny. Like if I told your son something, he'd be like, oh yeah, mom. Or if you told yes. my son, he'd be like, oh, this one, this Leah lady, like, oh my gosh. And I'd be like, the same thing I yes. told you. Right. So, so, so yeah, like my family tried a lot, but they're, they're, they were just up against a lot of hurdles and, and a lot of walls that, that, that really, my aunt tried to adopt me at one point in time and that didn't go through. But the reality is like, I, I'm a true believer of like my own higher power. And, you know, 
I had to go through a lot of those things. Um, you can look at it fortunately or unfortunately, but a lot of those things helped me to develop into the person I am today, right? And and I have an opportunity to to give back, to be a role model, to be a mentor, to be a coach, to be a good friend to to this humanity and and serve them and try to help them like avoid some of those pitfalls that I that I dealt with as a young kid. So well, I think sometimes it's a reminder the power of like when we make that decision, right? And then what are those next steps we take? And like you mentioned, it could be in business, it could be as an athlete, it could be as a little kid who's crying out for help to say, help me, because the reality is there is a lot of help out there, but sometimes you have to do your part too, right? Because people can try and people can come alongside, but if you won't receive it, and you know that we, we know that as athletes, right? I, I said, it didn't matter that my coach was the best in the world. I mean, it was phenomenal if I didn't receive what he had to share, but when I did, and I applied it to my belief and my work ethic and my competitiveness, like that's it, right? It's magic. And it's what every there's. And so I'm a big, you know, to person who talks about like potential doesn't matter because there's a lot of untapped potential in this world, right? But everything yeah. you're saying is for those that choose. There is a way. Now it might be harder. The hurdles might be higher. They the walls might be thicker, right? To be able to get around certain things, but there is a way to change your life if you'll choose that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Every, everybody's journey is different, right? But we can all achieve, achieve the same level of success defined by our own selves. And, and I love what you said earlier, like having the best coach in the world, but you still have to like say, yeah, I, I, I want to invite that in. And I, and I have clients that I work with all the time, right? Like, oh my gosh, I work with the best company. Why isn't this all working out? I'm like, because you haven't allowed the process to, to like just happen and invite it in. And, and it's not the first time that, you know, I've, I've made that mistake several times throughout my career when I had all the tools, all the resources, I had the perfect architecture of people around me, and I still chose to, like, try and figure it out on my own, right? And and, and that's not what this world's about. We're, we're all human beings, and we're meant to serve one another and help our fellow man and woman out. And, and um, you know, I, I just truly believe that at the end of the day, it's a choice. Some people's choices may be more difficult than others. It is what it is, right? But we also have to be 100% accountable for the architecture in which we build and, and figure that out. And if it's not serving us, we need to fix it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's talk a little bit about college. So you ended up uh, attending Weber State University, right? And is that where you did uh, the decathlon? Yes, here in Little Lone Beach. <laughs> yeah, how was your experience there? You know, um, that was pretty interesting because coming out of high school, I was one, if anybody in track and field world knows John Gadina, he was a thrower for Team USA in the discus. Um, but he and I were the two highest recruited athletes, not just in track and field, the two highest recruited athletes in, in the nation when we graduated. And, and I had offers to every school on the planet. And because of the guidance of, of my high school coach, I ended up going to Weber State, so a small school here in Utah. And you know what? There, there was both a, a great experience, but there was also a lot of negative experience as well. So part of that negative experience is I was probably one of the mm -hmm. best athletes at that time um, to go to that university in sports. Unfortunately, like I kind of like, you know, you see it a lot of times with athletes when they start, you know, achieving success, right? They start like, falling off the, the, the map and, and partying and doing stuff that they're really not supposed to be doing. 
And that pretty much defined a lot of my college career. And, you know, I had goals like when I went into college to do this and NCAAs and break the record and win the championship and break all the conference records. And my time at Weber State literally went by like that. And, you know, now that I'm older and I look back and I reflect, I'm like, man, you definitely went about that completely wrong. My coaches actually, after the Olympics, funny enough, they, they brought me into the office and they actually apologized because they, they never took any action or addressed the issues that I was creating, the partying. I was showing up to practice, like sometimes hungover and drunk. Wow. And so they apologized and it's not a hundred percent their fault. I still made the decision. Right. But do you like, wish they held you, do you wish they held you accountable? Um, you know, I, I definitely would have liked to see them hold me more accountable because I still was so like in infancy of who I was as a human being. And I just didn't know. Right. I was influenced by like my teammates that were around me and, and some quote unquote friends that weren't really friends um, so I was just making a lot of bad decisions and, it, you know, if I would have had a little bit better guidance and, and, and I don't, you know, I don't hold any grudge against them. They were doing the best they could with what they knew at the time, but I you know, definitely would have probably been a little bit of different experience, but again, that was my journey, right? That was part of my journey. So if, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? Uh, I mean, obviously, like literally knock off like all the partying and stupid stuff I did. Right. And, you know, it's 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 funny because, you know, I know we'll get to this. But in 2018, when I started my next transition, I made a promise to myself because yeah. I've done a lot already in, in life and, and, and all that stuff. And in 2018, I was like, what would my life look like if I had zero excuses? If I was so strategic about my life day in and day out, zero excuses, what could I accomplish? I'd already accomplished three Olympics, silver medal. I don't know how many champions. I mean, you know, we're talking to each other like the peanut gallery, like telling each other how much we accomplished, <laughs> right? But I was like, what if I had no excuses, right? And so I would take that same mindset and go back then and say, okay, you have an opportunity right in front of you. What would it look like if you just gave literally 100% and you had no excuse? Like, what would that really look like? Right. And so that would be the, probably like the one thing that would just be like, okay, I would pull myself to the side and, and have a little come to Jesus talk with myself um, and realize that like all this other crazy stuff is just stuff, right? Partying and getting the attention from all the places where you didn't need it because it doesn't serve you. Like yeah. just, just create your journey for you and, and write your chapters to perfection as much as you can and, and, and see where that can take you. And, you know, I, I was a really, really, it is what it is. Like I was a really good athlete and I performed. So you, you probably got away with more than oh most people gosh. could. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. Like way, way more. And, and, you know, again, like I was Definitely naturally gifted, but I also could work really hard. But even, I mean, even if I gave even 1% better effort, it, it would have been a total game changer. I mean, we honestly may have never even seen me in, in the sport of bobsled. Uh, you know, that's that's how yeah. good an athlete I was in track and field as well. So, 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, that transition um, from track and field and what kind of happened to make you shift and all of a sudden become a bobsledder. Yeah. So, you know, it was pretty interesting. So I was here in Salt Lake City, Utah, training at Weber State. And and at some point in time, this was during the Dan O'Brien and Dave Johnson days, the old Reebok commercials. And I was like, what would it be like to train with athletes at that level? Right. I had great teammates. Don't get me wrong. But I was the top of the line, like on my team by a long ways. And I was like, what would it be to, to, to like train with some guys like that? So back then, this is 1995. Yeah, 95. No, fo- no cell phones, no computers. I wrote a letter to Dan O'Brien's coach, Mike Keller, up in Moscow, Idaho, and said, hey, would you be willing to like take me in and, and have me come and train with you guys? Literally huge, huge like upgrade, right? I was taking a, a big chance is what most people would call it, right? I want to train with the number one decathlete in the world. So I'm going to write the guy a letter. And so I write this letter. A few weeks go by, nothing. A few more weeks go by and I get a letter from University of Idaho. Hey, this is Coach Mike Keller. We received your letter. You know, I wish I would have kept that letter. I so wish I would have kept that. In fact, I should ask him if he has it. But <laughs> and, and he was just like straight to the point. Didn't really, no, no frills or anything. Hey, we'd love to have you come up. Let me know when you're here. Okay. So I literally quit my job. I was working at Dillard's, not, not too far from my house, and, and men's suits and furnishings. You know, f- wrapped up my, my, my apartment and all that stuff and had to jump on a Greyhound bus that took a day and a half uh, from Salt Lake City to Moscow, Idaho. And, you know, I'll make this part short. Had, you know, it was great. It was great to be around that atmosphere. But the one thing that still hold me back is I was still living this like party life. I mean, I went to some of the biggest parties, college parties in the University of Idaho. Um, it was just insane. And that eventually led to me being like having Mike Keller ask me to leave like two years later. Like that's how bad it was. And I was, I was left in a position to ask my coaches back here in Utah, hey, can I come back? So, so they said, yes, I came back. We started training, getting prepared for the 2000 Sydney Olympics. That year was going amazing. I quit the drinking, quit the partying, just did whatever my coaches told me to. This was the year. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to do it. I did my first decathlon of the year at Utah State, scored like 81,008 points, was the first first athlete in the world to go over 8,000 points for the year. So I was ranked number one in the world at the point in time. Did another decathlon a little bit later in the year, scored a few more points, was still in the top five rankings. And so everyone, including myself, was like, this is it. I'm going to the Olympics. Done deal. And we decided to do a warm-up meet at Brigham Young University two weeks before the Olympic trials. I'd already qualified, already made a standard, and I blew my ankle out in the long jump at the decathlon. And, you know, we were so devastated because we didn't have to do that competition. We should have just stopped. But this is a really great lesson for people. Like, when something chaotic happens, just take take a time out, right? Take a time out, take a step back, assess the situation, you know, and respond to that situation as opposed to react. It's one of the things that Jack Canfield, author of all the chicken soup for the soul, taught me is E plus R equals O. You have an event plus a response or a reaction. You can then dictate the outcome, right? 
And and we didn't do that. We reacted 100%, tried to do the shot put, tried to go do the high jump off the same ankle, and that was game over. So you think that if you had taken a step back and just kind of bailed out at that point, then you could have been prepared? To, I think for the at least had a, yeah, I think we would have had a better opportunity because, you know, I rotate in the shot put off of that same ankle that was blown out. So we're just putting more pressure on it and doing more damage. And and because so we numbed it up and, and taped it up. And, and I just went about it like as a regular competition. And and the, the, the worst part was the high jump. We got to the high jump and I tried to jump off of that same ankle several times. Every time I took a step on it, just a step, not even including jump, it literally felt like a bomb was going off in my ankle. Like it hurt so bad. And so we just did more damage, you know? And when I missed my last jump, knocked over the bar, just laid there. And, and I knew at that point in time, my Olympic dreams were over. Went home, felt a victim mentality, started drinking, feeling sorry for myself. And I'm just super thankful that the universe is, is very kind in a lot of ways. And somebody said, you should train for the Olympics in Salt Lake City. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, the Olympics are in Sydney. Salt Lake doesn't have any Olympics. <laughs> They're like, no, there's the Winter Olympics. There's a sport called bobsled and track and field and football guys like you are really good at it. Here's a here's a movie. You should watch it. Cool Runnings, right? So, <laughs> yes. so I learned a sport of bobsled originally from watching Cool Runnings. Uh, and then I had an opportunity to watch Team USA competing in St. Moritz, Switzerland. And this was only a year and three months before the Olympics here. So I'm jumping into a new sport that I don't know of a year and three months before the Olympics. And in, 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 a, in a situation where most people will be like, there's absolutely no way that's going to work. No way. We were we just basically said, why not us? Why not just give it a shot and see what happens at the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen is we don't make the team, but we at least try it, right? And that's and how many people do that all around the world? I'm not even going to try. It's too hard, right? And we, 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 I remember this conversation clearly. We're like, what if we could literally write that story? The kid who grew up on the streets of Salt Lake City turns his life around to compete in his Olympic Games in his own hometown, not far from where he ate out of garbage cans. And we're like, that would be a really cool story. Why don't we just go for it? Take the same focus and mindset we had getting ready for Sydney and dump it over here into a bobsled bucket and let's just see what happens. And lo and behold, okay. yeah. So I have a question. Who is we? Because now all of a sudden I hear that team mentality, even though you're sitting here and you're, you know, you're an athlete yourself. So who's the we that you're talking about? Yeah, it was it was my track and field coaches. So, you know, we just reconnected and because, I mean, I didn't have a bobsled coach. I didn't know anything about bobsled, right? So my, my track and field coaches, you know, I was in a relationship at the time. So we're having that conversation, right? Because we all know that as an Olympian, if you're not getting paid, <laughs> like your spouses have to support like what you're doing, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, we just had the conversation and, and I thought it was important and I thought it was valuable to include them on this massive decision because they'd been a part of getting us to that point. Right. And um, so, yeah, so we just went for it and uh, you know, I was not very liked at uh, the first when I came into this, the world of bobsled, because again, I'm showing up out of nowhere. These guys have been doing this for a long time 
And I just basically said, hey, listen, you know what? My goal and my dream was to change my stars and be an Olympian. And it didn't matter if it was in track and field, men's pairs, figure skating, or bobsled. I've done everything that I could do that I needed to do to be here right here, right now. And I hope all you guys have too, right? And um, and and so, you know, by taking that same mentality, just showing up 100% authentic every day to training to be a student of the game, that eventually led to me making the Olympic team and winning the first Olympic medal for Team USA in over 46 years. Wow, that is an accomplishment. That's unbelievable. In such a short amount of time, what a story. But it's it's just that reminder is you never know what tomorrow can bring if today you will commit and choose and buy in and go all out, like give everything you have. I need to go back really quick because you were sharing a lot of stuff, but the idea, of course, we all knew who Dan O'Brien was, right? During that, during that Olympics, like I was in the Olympic games, but you saw them everywhere. Like you saw, I mean, it was, I think for the decathlon, like it literally just kind of lifted that up, right? Cause it's such an unbelievable event to be able to do all those different events, just amazing. Right. And to be the best at them. But I, for me, like listening to your story, the fact that you called Mike Keller up or, or took a chance and sent a letter and you waited and you just thought, why not? What, what, what's the worst they can say is no. I'm going to tell you that alone, I believe can open so many doors that people have no idea if you'll take that step, if you'll make that action. And then when the answer came back, right? Cause it could have been like, Oh, he said, yes, but you know what? I don't have the means. I can't make it work. I got my job right here, but no, you literally said you just, you quit your job and you got on a bus and you, you headed off and you were willing to take the next step when the opportunity came. I think that's an important takeaway. Somebody like you mentioned that could have had every reason to make an excuse and to say, you know what, here's why I can't be as successful as others maybe think I can. But instead you're like, why not? I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to do the work. And, and I think it's important to mention with your story too, though, there are things that we need to let go if we're going to become great, right? Because you had all the physical talent. So when you got rid of the partying, the ability was still there. You still had ability, but you were not able to reach your full potential. You weren't all in. Let's just put it that way. You can't be all in with a career, with, you know, something you're doing and then all in with partying, like you're, you're splitting yourself. Right. And when you were talking, it made me think of a guy that I knew in high school and his dream was be an MLB and he made it to minors, but didn't go on. But one of the things that his dad would tell him, Hey, if you're smart and you stay away from the drinking and you stay away from the drugs and you stay away from all the girls and the crazy, you're going to give yourself a better shot right off the bat, because no matter how talented these athletes are, so many of them will fall and they'll be distracted. That distraction can literally destroy a future, an opportunity. You know, I knew an athlete in high school, phenomenal athlete that I went to, and he ended up going and drugs took away his opportunity because he as well got drafted. So unbelievable point getting to that Olympic experience. Tell me what it meant to be in the bobsled in the Olympic games, to win the silver medal, to have this phenomenal, almost storybook ending after all that you had been to up to that point. Yeah, you know, Leah, as you're talking about that, the emotions start welling up in my such an amazing experience. And, you know, I can remember it clear as day walking out onto the podium in a crowd of thousands of people 
all of my family, all of my friends, all my schoolmates holding up signs. My grandma, um, oh, this was, this was always gets me. I, I clearly recall my grandma holding up a sign saying, my son, I told you that dreams can come true. And to do that in my own hometown, to take, to make the choice to follow that path and to do it literally, I received my Olympic medal, literally not, not even a block away from where I was eating out of a garbage can as a little kid, you know, and, and to be able to do that and, and change my stars and accomplish a goal that's so grandioso. I don't even really have words for it. It was just so amazing. And, and, you know, the reality, just like you, right. I've now set my name in stone in history. No one can ever take that away from you. And, and to be a role model for so many other people all around the world and, and simply just to prove for myself that I could. It was amazing. And so you get to that. Yeah. You get to that point and you have this experience and then you continued because you ended up going to three different Olympics. So kind of just quickly tell me that journey of like, was it different experiences in the different Olympics? I know they're all unique. Yeah. Um, that, that actually all stemmed from my college coach, Dan Walker. He was my, my decathlon, my multi-event coach that every time we were in practice and I did something really well, his first response was like, Hey, any fool could do it once, which meant he's like, do it again do it again. Just keep, you know, keep doing it. And so I was like, all right, you know what, if I make this Olympic team and win a silver medal, I have, I actually have the game plan to, to probably do another one. And, and uh, I was always taught like when I was in college to, to walk away from your sport or whatever it is that you're doing when you are truly ready. And I just, mm -hmm. I didn't want to leave anything on the table and, you know, I just wanted to make this as big as I possibly could uh, continue to show people that, you know, again, you can do anything you want. And so, so yeah, I did two more Olympics. They were very different experiences. They were great. Don't get me wrong, but there's, even if I would have won a gold medal at those other Olympic games, there's no way that it would have replaced the experience of having the Olympics in Salt Lake where my whole story right. took place. Right. You know, but I did, I, you know, had great experiences, um, traveled around the world, won lots of medals, met a lot of amazing humans, learned a lot of life lessons, leadership lessons, and so on and so on. And then in Vancouver at 2010, like I just had an opportunity just to walk away knowing that physically there's no way I could, could have done another Olympics. Mentally, mentally, I still think I could do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> to be honest, but the reality is, like you know, the body, the body is weary, and 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 it is what it is. I have a lot of injuries, I have a lot of pain, but I earned it, right? And and you could ask my wife and anybody that 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 talks um, talks to me on a regular basis. They're like, you know, he's always in pain, but his first response is that he earned it. I earned every injury and pain that I have, and I love it. Right. I even told myself that, like when I decided that in uh, high school, when I was going to pursue the Olympics, jokingly, I told myself, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm young. I'm like 16, 17 at the time. When I get to be like 28 or 30, I'm going to be like so in pain with injuries. Right. And now I'm 50. That was a long time ago. But um, like I, I just really had like this dream and this goal and this vision 
And it was so crystal clear to me, right, that, that nothing was going to stop me from achieving that goal. And so, yeah, so I did three Olympics and walked away when I when I wanted to. And and uh, I'm glad I did because I originally retired after the 2006 Torino Olympics, took two years off and still had that itch. So I had to make the hard comeback as an old man in the sport <laughs> to come back and make the 2010 team. And, and, and I'm glad I did. Well, in the fact that, yeah, you decided and it was kind of your choice. And if you get cut, you get cut. Or if you don't make the cut, you know, and that's how I felt, too, because I went to two Olympics and I wanted to be a mom, but I still wanted to play. And like you mentioned, like, I just so relate because other people are like, yeah, you might you might have a kid and then be like, oh, I'm good. And and I, I was like, that's true. I might. But I know right now, like, I still want to play. And so, you know, I knew that I could potentially get cut at a tryout. I knew that was the reality. But I wanted to put my position, myself in the best position possible. And I, like you mentioned, I had to work harder than I ever had. I had gotten the best shape of my life after becoming a mom. And I didn't, you know, I thought I was in great shape prior. And so you're right. Like, you you do what it takes to keep going after that dream. And you're fortunate. I think sometimes athletes, they get cut and they aren't able to end their career necessarily on their terms. So it's pretty cool that you were able to do that. Let's talk a little bit about life post-Olympics, because I think the longer you compete, and this is for professional athletes, Olympic athletes, it's almost a much harder transition afterwards, because although everyone else is like, oh, it's so phenomenal. Now just go on to the next stage. The rest of the world, they've been grinding, working since they got out of college and you've been doing the same except in a sport. And now all of a sudden you've been at the top and now we're back at the bottom older. So talk to me a little bit about how that transition was, because a lot of people don't realize like the depression, a lot of athletes go through a lot of it having to do with identity, a lot of it like Okay, I knew the passion I put here, but now what is that the rest of my life going to look like? So take me through kind of your emotions, what you dealt with and how you kind of figured out that next step. Yeah, so I, I was actually one of the first Olympians to publicly come out about my depression and my suicide, my addiction, alcoholism. You know, when, when I retired, you know, obviously there, there was some issues that happened also in Vancouver with with my significant other that. That, that was significantly impact, not only on me, but my team as well. You know, thankfully, you know, there were, there were charges that were made. Thankfully, they all got wiped out. Um, we had to do a whole bunch of uh, research and investigations and all that stuff. But that, that was kind of like the setup for what was about to happen over the next eight and a half years. And, you know, when I was younger and they, they were telling me about like the opportunities, if you become Olympian, all these doors will open, so on and so on. And that's true. And, and like you said too, right, the older we get, the more difficult it is because people have been in college and they've graduated, they've had a job for a while and I'm showing up like this brand new person. But, you know, the first thing that, that was hard for me was exactly you nailed it on the head is I had a massive loss of identity. You know, we're used to traveling all over the world and people catering to us, doing White House visits and, and doing all these amazing, great things that most people don't ever get to do. But when that comes to a halt and you have to and you haven't planned for what's next, that is a bad reality check. And it was for me for eight and a half years. And it just compounded because I thought that I could figure it all out on my own. And I was trying to reinvent the will. And I literally took all the success principles and everything I learned over the years, threw them out the window because I was like, oh, I got this all figured out. And, you know, over from 2010 till about mid 2018, it was a massive amount of depression, a massive amount of 
victim mentality, blame it, blaming my problems on everyone else. Couldn't sustain a relationship at all with my kids, with my family, with friends. Uh, I couldn't hold a job. You know, I started drinking excessively all the time, uh, which obviously led into like doing recreational drugs, which I had no business even doing and just continued to go down this really dark rabbit hole. You know, financially, it was a completely hot mess. I was so far behind on my child support and my duties and responsibilities to my family. And in 2016, it eventually pinnacled um, where I, uh, they say suicide attempt, but I wasn't supposed to survive. My doctor, when I woke up the next morning, he's like, oh, you're lucky. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm still here, right? Wow. I, was, I was such in a dark, dark space that I didn't want it to be around. And thankfully I did. I'm so grateful that, that I did survive that, that, that moment in my life. And there was another two years of like from 2016 until about mid 2018 that I still, still struggled with that. And, you know, and it's, the interesting part about that is I still won a whole bunch of awards during that time in the darkest, darkest period of my life. And I was still, I was, there was still something inside me that was trying to win in life, right? Mm -hmm. Still trying and scraping and scratching. But, you know, 2016 to 2018, I was, I was pretty much in, in the next position just to, to completely give up. You know, I was like, oh, no one, no one cares about me anymore. And no one's coming to save me. And nobody cares that I did three Olympics and represented the United States. And, you know, <laughs> somebody should help me. Right. And, and it was a really, really dark, dark, dark time. I, you know, it is what it is. And, and thankfully I learned from that experience, but the, the way that I came about like getting out of that uh, is, is that, I had a guy that wanted to do a business deal with me and he was talking about this technology of corporate retreats and he worked with Sony and Coca-Cola and he's like, you're the president of the Utah Olympic and Paralympic Association. We should talk to the Olympic committee about my software. And I was like, okay, yeah, we could talk about it. And he's like, well, hey, tomorrow I'm doing a Zoom call on this leadership training, kind of life coaching, business coaching. Are you interested in joining and I was like, in my head, I was like, that is so stupid. That is so dumb. What is life coaching and business coaching? Coming from somebody who's relied on coaching for success, right? And I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, again, I had nothing else to hold on to. I was at my very end. I was actually planning my next suicide. That's like how bad it was. And I was like, okay, I failed at the last one. I won't fail at this one. And, and, and so the next day I joined on this call and the guy's name's Chad LeFavor. He's actually a business partner of mine in TMIC Global now. And the first conversation, he says, do you guys, and there was probably about 20 of us on a Zoom call, do, all, do you guys lead a life by default or do you lead a life by design? And I was like, what is this guy mm -hmm. talking about? He is a freaking whack job. What, I, I live a horrible life, right? Whatever. And he's like, well, if you lead life by design, everything's going really well for you. Your relationships are good. Your job's good. You're healthy. Your mindset's great. And I was like, you know, he's saying all these things. I'm like, not me, not me, not me, not me. And he's like, well, if you lead a life by default, then opposite applies, right? You're not happy. You're depressed. You're probably an alcoholic. And I was like, yeah, that is definitely me a thousand times over. And he says, well, if you lead a life by default, it's not too late to take a look at the architecture in which you built. And at the same time, I was getting certified by Jack Canfield, learning the 100% responsibility, right? Mm. Again, I was, there was something in me still trying to win. I was like the frog in the store, right? And uh, 
he said, so if you take responsibility for the architecture in which you built, let's figure out what are the things that you've created that are not serving you. Let's literally write them on paper, address them one by one, declutter those things from your architecture, the people, places, things, whatever it is. And we can start over and redesign your architecture mm. by design. And I was like, so you're saying like, there's, there's a chance for me. Like I need to put these like suicide thoughts on hold. Like I'm, I'm having this conversation with myself. Right. And then he says, I want you to do me a favor after this call. I want you to go and if you have a mirror somewhere in your house, bathroom, bedroom, whatever, I want you to go and stand in that mirror and look at yourself until you actually see yourself. And, and, and I'm thinking, what is this guy's problem? He's so weird, right? But I did it. And I walked into the bathroom. I literally shut the computer, got off the call, walked right into my bathroom, and I stared at the mirror at myself. And then literally, it was, I don't even know how long it was. It seemed like a long time. All of a sudden, Bill Schiffenhauer appeared for the first time in 40-something years of my life. And we just started having a conversation. That's the best way I could put it. And, and that conversation was basically, listen, you've been whining and complaining and blaming life on everyone else. The reality is no one's going to come save you. God's not going to come save you. Buddha, whoever it is that you think is out there is not going to come save you. Your family's not going to save you. You're not going to magically win the damn lottery. Nothing. The only person is going to save you is looking at you in the mirror right now. So you need to decide right now, do you want to go out there and change your life? Do you want to accomplish something bigger than you've ever accomplished before? If you do, let's start taking some action right now. And um, so I did. I mean, I was in tears, literally in tears, having this conversation, staring at me. First, mm -hmm. the first time I'd ever seen myself for the first time in, in so many years. Right. And so I literally just started taking like action. I started like, I, I knew that I had to move, period. I had to, I had to get into a, a, an architecture with more influential people, positive people. I had to get away from the lifestyle that I was living at, the, at that time. One of the things I can tell you outside of like the depression and all this stuff, I was blowing about four or $500 a day at the bar, wow. drinking <laughs> and partying. I was making $15,000 a month, but I couldn't pay my employees, couldn't pay my bills. I was digging in the couches for, for change to feed my my two cats and my dog. It's, right? it's almost like you went full circle backwards, right? I was wondering while you were talking originally, especially when kind of the demons came back in a sense is what it feels like. Like you had overcome so much, you had you know chosen, you got good coaches around you that like inspired you and you said yes. And then it's almost like, okay, like the identity thing. And, and it was almost like, okay, wait back to this beginning in a sense. Right. And so, yeah, like, it's like what voices in a sense, listening to you, I, I do want to say just cause I know we all have different views, right. And different beliefs. And I do believe God created you. And I do believe he has a purpose for you. And I do believe oh. with God, all things are possible. And I know when you're saying, and I know the point, I think the point that that guy's making, and again, some people think, no, there is no God. That's fine. Everybody thinks differently. I do believe that there is God and that he loves us. And for me, it was like finding him in college that really was like, you have a purpose and it's bigger than softball and it's bigger than the Olympics. And when I hear your story, Bill, I just, I just know when you said that you woke up that next morning, the doctor said you shouldn't be here. And I'm like, but God said you were going to be here still. 
Because I believe God is the author of our days. And even when you tried, he wasn't going to let you win that one because <laughs> he said, yeah. I have more for you, Bill. And I love your story because you are real about it. And a lot of people would hide these things and they only want people to see the good stuff. But there's good and bad. And there's good things that happen to us and bad things. And there's good choices we make and bad choices. But there is a lot of choices with that. So I'll, I'll let you continue as we wrap this up today, because I know your message is going to impact a lot of people and you have overcome. So as you as you kind of tie this all together, like what is the thing that you would tell people listening to your story? You've overcame, then you went back and, and struggled and there's mental health and so many people struggle with that. What would you tell people? Hey, guys, no matter how hard it gets, here's what you can do to overcome any challenge? Yeah. So first and foremost, we, we started talking, you started just, just talking about it right then and there too. During that time, I had a very, very, I, what I would call a very intense spiritual experience. And, you know, I won't share it because it's pretty in depth, but basically what I got out of that experience is during this transitional period of making the decision to, to, to move forward is, is that to that point I prayed a lot, but I, didn't truly allow God into my life. And, you know, you, you nailed it on the head again too. Chapter Luke, St. Luke chapter one, verse 37 with, for with God, anything is possible. Right. And so again, as we're talking about this architecture and all this stuff, I was like, okay, the one big thing, if it was a big thing that I haven't allowed to happen in my life was giving him all the power, giving him just guide me, just guide me. Right. And, and I was like, okay, well, I got nothing else. Let me see if this works, right? And so so I embraced that 100%. Not, I didn't half-ass this. 100% embraced it. And the other thing is I realized, too, by this conversation with Chad, talking about my architecture and do I want to recreate, is going back, back to my foundational principles as an athlete is surrounding myself with healthy, amazing yes. people, realizing I don't have to do this life journey on this earth by myself. I'm a huge, huge believer that from the foundation of who we are as human beings, we are 100% made to serve one another. And by doing that, we can accomplish anything in life. And and that the mistakes I made is I tried to do it on my own. I, I pushed God and Heavenly Father or whoever you want to identify as your higher power. I pushed that all away. I thought that I had it all figured out, you know, and I, but then I was blaming everyone else for the things that weren't working in my life, right? So taking accountability, uh, believe in the higher power, surround yourself with community, positive community. And sometimes that positive community comes off to us as, as, as criticism, but we have to be open-minded to what other people from the outside in see, right? And then just, you know, create goals for yourself and, and, and execute those goals and be strategic about it. Be accountable to it. Be accountable to yourself, first and foremost, right? And, and just, you know, have that conversation with yourself as well. If I had no excuses in life, what could I accomplish, because so many people, we make excuses for when we fail all the time. Oh, it's somebody else's fault. Oh, I got fired from my job because my boss hates me, right? Or whatever whatever we tell ourselves all the time, right? So what would life look like if we didn't give, we didn't allow any excuses into our life? And I can tell you from, from like, you know, where I'm at now, like I'm living that right now. I never in a million, million years would have thought that I would be 
uh, you know, a managing partner, a CEO, a COO, board member, like all these things I am of eight global companies, never in a mazillion years. And I'm living it right now. And, you know, a year from now or a year and a half-ish, I will be able to retire 100% and take care of my entire family, be as philanthropic as I want. And it's not the money, but it is what I created for myself was one of my big goals. But one of my number one pillars of focus in life is to be of service to others. And the more service I provide to other people, it come back, comes back to me like tenfold. And it's funny because that's one thing I didn't ever believe in. Back in the day, I was like, you know, you hear people all the time, you know, provide service to others and things will come to you. And I was like, back then, I was like, no, that's that's dumb, stupid. Where do you come up with that? And, and again, you know, by guidance of God, he's like, embrace it and let me show you how that works. And I'm so grateful because I literally know if I go out right now and I provide service to anybody out there on the street, doesn't matter if I know them or not, I know that something's going to come back to me and it's not expected. I just know because it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, well, and I, and I think of when you, when you say that in my mind, I go to like, you can't outgive God in a sense, like you give of yourself and you give to help others. And then God turns it around and, and he'll, he'll bless that. Now, it, it might look differently than we expect. And I know the Bible talks a lot about don't store up your treasures and, you know, on earth instead storm up for heaven. And that idea is that bigger picture of like, and I think that's where it comes down to motives, right? Like you said, like there's people out there, you're right. Their whole reason of giving is to get. <laughs> and I think, you know, at some point that probably gets muddied as well and probably doesn't always end great. But when you truly give to help others, I think that's what it's about. It's about serving. And I'm working on my book right now, the gold about the gold standard. And that's the chapter I'm working on. And it always seems to happen. I talk about, you know, it comes up, but it's it's about serving others and the impact that's made on my life. And and I, I love that you mentioned that. So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Mm -hmm. I feel like we we could probably talk for three more hours. We might just need to do a follow-up call so that we can share more. But Bill, um, so much is so good that what if you had no excuses? Don't be a victim. Like you are in charge of the choices you make. So be accountable to yourself. Make good choices. Surround yourself with the right people that are going to help you end up where you want to be, right? Any athlete knows that if you want to be the best. You want to train for the best, with the best, working out next to the best. And um, and that's what you've been able to do. And I think your story of starting out how you started, making it to the Olympics, hitting rock bottom again after that, and almost giving up, right? But God had other plans. And then being able to climb to where you are now, you really did have control of your life and you chose to. So again, I just want to thank you for sharing what you did today on the podcast, because I really think it exemplifies as you were figuring it out, how to live out your best life for you and kind of by your values. So thank you again. Yeah, no, thank you, Leah, too, for, for reaching out and connecting. And, you know, it's just an honor. Like, you know, we, you and I have this opportunity to be, you know, influencers around the world and, and just do our best to show up and, and prove to other people, doesn't again, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, we can accomplish and do anything we want in life, you know, and, you know, we have all the guidance. It's right in front of us. We just have to open up our arms and, and accept it and, and go from there and we can create anything. That's right. Remember that people, you can create anything. It's your choice. So go out and live the gold standard. I hope you enjoyed what Bill shared today. His story is very powerful, but you have your own story as well. So we'll see you here next time on the gold standard podcast.
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Gold Standard Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah20USA or use hashtag Gold Standard Podcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality.